Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. You know what we're gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna transition. We're gonna switch gears. We're gonna go from talking about current event stuff, and we're just gonna find cool and interesting people to talk to and get their stories and see, you know, where everybody's coming from. And through that, we found out that not we're not all that different. And uh, so now, what in the world is kind of just like what in the world are people up to? That was Ben Fay, co-host of the What in the World podcast. They had me on the show last month, and this time Ben is on post-woke. And I barely know him. This is only my second conversation with him. And I kind of expected that we would have some major differences in opinion, and that was the case. But what I appreciate is that we demonstrated in this show that we can the two people who are on a very friendly basis can disagree strongly without ruining that friendly basis. Um, Side note, one of the issues that we disagreed on had to do with vaccines. I chose to not go in depth on during this conversation, but if you check the show notes, you will find an abundance of links to articles I've written on the topic. But for now, I just want to say that Ben and I's conversation is coming up right after this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here. And as many of you already know, for nearly seven years, I've been running a one-man program to help homeless women on the streets of New York. And you could check the show notes for a link that explains it in more detail. Um, I am also looking to expand this program, and I'm starting to do that in small steps now. And I want to help more people in bigger ways in addition to the homeless women. And basically, to put it simply, I want to try and facilitate miracles on the streets. And I'm there is another link in the show notes that you can check out to learn a little bit more about that. So I'm going to just leave you guys to... Click on those links, learn more, and follow your heart because I need your financial support and I need you to share the links in order to keep this going and growing. So I thank you in advance and let's get back to the show. Last month, July 2023, I was honored to be a guest on the What in the World podcast with Ben Fay and Alex Brummel. If you check the show notes, you'll find a link to that. If you haven't heard it, I suggest you check it out. If you have heard it, please share the link. And our conversation was really fun, and we decided to continue it, at least in part, on my podcast. And to do that, we have Ben Fay here, possibly Alex tapping in at some point, but Ben is here, and Ben, welcome to Post Woke. Hey, Mickey, great to talk to you again, man. I've been looking forward to this uh, since our, our last interaction, because we had such a good time talking with you. So I'm I'm honored and excited to be on this one to talk to you again. I'm happy to hear that. I feel the same way. I feel like we we uh, we we really got off to a great start last time, and I like to see we could sort of do home and home on a regular basis. I, I like it. I like okay. it. Yes, for sure. Now, for people listening who aren't familiar with the What in the World podcast, why don't we just get them up to speed? If you could tell us 
any of this combination, like a little of the history of the show, the meaning of the name. Um, I remember you telling me that the way you present it has evolved in terms of content or subject matter. But give us a, just a little brief background on What in the World. Yeah, so uh, What in the World started uh, back during the uh, the pandemic, the old Pammy Whammy, if you will. And uh, we, Alex and I were, were playing video games a lot together. And, and some of the people we were playing with uh, eventually told us that we should start a podcast because of the amount of stuff that we talked about, which was just at the time, all the current events going on with the, the pandemic and how the government was handling it and everything. So we did. We started our podcast um, based around that. Uh, we started presenting, you know, uh, both sides of current events and what each side was saying and trying to find the truth in, in the middle of it. And that's kind of how we came up with the name as well as like what in the world podcast, meaning kind of like what in the world is going on. Okay. Um, and then after about a year or so of that, uh, Alex and I were starting to get very burnt out covering basically becoming another news source. Um, so we're getting really burnt out about it. And, uh, from there, we kind of we took a little bit of a break for a little while, and then uh, we came back at the beginning of this year, and we said, you know what, we're gonna do? We're gonna we're gonna transition. We're gonna switch gears. We're gonna go from talking about current events stuff, and we're just gonna find cool and interesting people to talk to and get their stories and see, you know, where everybody's coming from. And through that, we found out that not we're not all that different. And uh, so now, what in the world is kind of just like what in the world are people up to? Wow, that's you. You just fed me such great transitions there, but I do want to clarify. Um, when you say that you that you made this transition prior to that, the show was just you and Alex, or did you ever have guests on? It was me and Alex for the most part. Every now and then, we would have um, guests on, but it was more along the lines of people we knew. It wasn't okay. we weren't reaching out to people to talk about what was going on in the world. Okay. And I, I have to say, I never heard anybody refer to it as the Pammy Whammy. But I may, <laughs> I, I may bar- borrow that. That's, that's, I've that's, heard it uh, here and there. Somebody somebody said it one time, they called it the Pammy Whammy. And I was like, I kind of like that. So I've I stole it. Plan, plandemic and scamdemic. I mean, I've heard all <laughs> yeah. that stuff. But Pammy Whammy just adds a certain pizzazz to it. Pizzazz, but, yeah. um, so now when you guys started the podcast, had you ever done any type of media before? Um, Alex had not, I, um, during the podcast or sorry, not during the podcast, but during the uh, pandemic and, uh, a little before and for a little while afterwards, I was, uh, streaming on Twitch. So I was one of those Twitch streamers, you know, that streamed their video game, their video game gameplay to people and talk to people that way. So I had a little bit of background and I guess what you could call broadcasting, um, because I was, you know, it was a, uh, a solo business, basically though, everything you see on like uh, the news when they do transitions and everything, the graphics and all that stuff that pop up on screen. I was a one man show doing that for myself while also streaming my content and talking to people at the same time. Okay. All right. And so now I'm going to take, I'm going to exploit the transition you gave me when you talked about how people are not, uh, not as different as we think they are because, Mm -hmm. um, there are plenty of jokes and memes out there about the abundance of podcasts that exist, but I'm of the belief that first of all, the numbers aren't that high. When you when you know when you remember when blogs were a thing, there were way more blogs being invented on a regular basis and started than there still are podcasts, and many 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 podcasts 
get started, but kind of fizzle out after like maybe a dozen episodes. So when you when you consider the podcast that made it to 75 or 100 episodes or one or two years, it isn't that many. But mm-hmm. what I'm learning also, like you guys, is that you go into something because you feel passionate about what's going on, perhaps, you know, in that moment. But the project has this amazing gift where it takes on a life of its own. And I can, I feel very similar to you where suddenly you're realizing that it's not just about this issue and where someone stands. It's actually the importance of having conversations because yep. it then that, that act cancels the prejudgments that we all have because we're all so um, herded into little tribes mm-hmm. by the algorithm on social media that you may look at someone on the in the other tribe and assume you know all about them based on what you're hearing in your tribe. But then if you have a conversation, you, you're pleasant, hopefully pleasantly surprised to find out that you know it's that's not the case at all. So can you just share a little bit about how that happened with you, some of the positive experiences, what you've learned, what you still hope to learn? Like what's it been like becoming a podcaster unexpectedly, and then having the show, sustaining the show, and then evolving the show. So yeah, it's uh, it's been really interesting. It's been a really interesting journey. Um, I've loved, for the most part, every second of it. But when you, when you start out, you kind of, at least for me, you have this plan on how you want the show to run. Um, and then, like you said, the show kind of develops a life of its own. And uh, in order to keep things fresh and not get burnt out, you can't keep trying to stuff that life that's happening into the box that you made in your mind about what you want your show to be. You just kind of got to let it evolve. Um, so yeah, it was very interesting, um, watching that happen and learning how to let it organically go the way that it's gone. I can totally relate because when I think of what I felt like I had, a mandate, if you pardon that word, mm-hmm. in this time period <laughs> during, during the Pammy Whammy. Um, yeah. But I felt like, oh, I need to talk about these issues because they're being censored, because there's so much uh, misinformation. But I enjoy the give and take so much and finding connections that, and also you learn that people, you know, the opposite happens. You think that if someone has a different political or ideological opinion than you, you may not like them, but sometimes Mm. you meet people who have a similar opinion and you don't like them. And you realize (laughs) that it's about humans, not so much about, it should be about humans. Let me rephrase that. So when you and Alex were in the early phases of this and you were, we were in, you know, the ground zero of, of the pandemic. Um, what, what type of topics were you talking about? And did, did you feel like you came down on any side in some of the, the high profile conversations? So we tried very hard not to come down on one side. We, we did let people know that both Alex and I, we kind of were a little bit more right-leaning individuals, but we both try to stay as middle or moderate, if you will, as possible. So we, we tried to stay moderate with a tendency to lean right. But we were always, one of our big things is that we were always very open to different points of view. And we would tell people constantly, if you have something that could change our minds, please let us know. Um, we're, we were always open and, ha- and still are open to just that discussion, just to talk with people and see where they're coming from. Because we didn't want to sit in our own little echo chamber of us two uh, talking about the same things over and over. Now that's like music to my ears, everything you say in there, because it's that it, I don't want to 
I don't want to fall into a trap and say, oh my goodness, you're so rare of what you're saying, because I don't think it's rare. I think that when you do get locked in an echo chamber, you don't imagine that there are people out there saying, hey, I'm open to hearing opposing opinions. But the more you're out there, you realize that people people are curious. And mm-hmm. so, so, so now years later, do you, I'll just ask you the question since Alex is here, do you find yourself still following pandemic um, adjacent issues like I'll give you an example. Like very recently, LeBron James's son had a cardiac arrest. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in the COVID skeptical crowd immediately assumed it was a vaccine adverse event. Right. Um, and I'm not going to come down on an opinion on that, but I'm wondering, and when you covering since you covered it and talked about it in depth and and hashed it out with an open mind, are you still in that mindset where you see some current events through the lens of COVID? Um, not, not really. Um, we've, I mean, we, you can still feel some of the lingering effects obviously and how policy change and that kind of stuff. But as for me and I will talk a little bit on Alex's behalf as well. Um, we, we don't, um, like we're not in that camp. That's like, Oh, the reason these people had a heart attack was because of the vaccine. And that's just like scientifically categorically false. Um, it's just that heart attacks can happen in this, in this, for this example, heart attacks can happen to anybody at any time. It's not just, you know, strictly reserved for old people or due to complications of, you know, a vaccine or something like that. Um, so when we talk to people and talk about, um, other current events and stuff, there's not much that comes back to COVID really. Okay. That's interesting. And I don't want to turn this into a vaccine conversation. (laughs) Yeah. No, cause, cause it is, I I have been sometimes against my own will within an echo chamber of the Mm -hmm. skeptical crowd. And I do, based on what I've read, there is an increase in things like myocarditis and there, there is enough evidence that there should be um, at the very least skepticism, but at the very most serious research being done in this. But I also don't fall into the camp that says that every single person who gets sick of anything but any disease in the past two years, it must also automatically be because you know related right. to the vaccine. Because I don't. The main thing is that if you are someone who is adamantly against the way the governments and the corporations reacted to this um, s- scenario, um, you want to advance your case. You want to be credible, and I don't. Right. Think that's, I don't think that's a credible thing to say. But I do think it's quite credible to say that. Um, there are tendencies happening now that weren't happening prior, and we do need to we do need to examine them. But that's a big difference between that and saying automatically everyone that gets sick it's the vaccine. And right. I don't think it's doing anyone any favors on either side. No, it's not at all. And the the only thing that I'll like I'll say to that is like we ended up doing we had one show I think where we actually kind of like looked into it a little bit more, and there was an uptick in like the myocarditis, but it wasn't like. A, a large uptick. It was very like minuscule, basically. Like there was a slight percentage upcrease, like increase, but it wasn't like huge. And most of the, and from what we looked at, it was like most of those people are had like some prior, like pre existing thing going on. Personally, for me, I you know since I you know am in the military, I didn't really get an option on to, as to whether or not I was getting the vaccine. It was just kind of like you're taking this. Um, and I've never been in the camp where I've been like, I'm not taking a vaccine. I, it doesn't matter. I went through boot camp and got stabbed probably 11 times with 
different needles full of different vaccines for stuff. And I've had no, personally me, I've had no complications from any of the vaccines. So I took my vaccine, I waited around, got the booster, all that mess. And I never had any complications, but that's just me. So yeah, yeah. everyone's different. Yeah. And, and I don't want to run the risk of turning this into a vaccine conversation. (laughs) Yeah. That's what I was like. Let's just leave it after you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Let me, I'll just see. I'll just say on my, on my point, the, I have interviewed doctors on the show that are doing pretty intensive evidence, particularly through the vaccine adverse mm-hmm. events reporting system, VAERS. And um, my, what I've read is that it's far more than an uptick. But I think that what we could agree on is that there should be, there should be standards by which this is measured where everyone mm-hmm. can agree is at least somewhat um, uh, accurate to some degree. But yeah. it seems like this is kind of what I was looking forward to, where I was thinking you know, we, we said earlier about talking to someone that could be on the other side of an issue. And I, don't, and I guess in this case, we are on the other side. Mm-hmm. And I'm just thinking, I want to hear someone tell me what they think when they hear um, a, a, a stranger blaming the vaccine, say, on Bronnie James's heart right. attack. For, and I'm because I immediately once I saw the headline in the circles that I've moved in, I knew immediately what was going to be suspected. Quick side note, an, a, one of his teammates on USC also had a cardiac arrest. And as someone who's worked in gyms my whole life, my first thought was that there could be some type of, um, uh, you know, a performance enhancing drug happening where two 18 year olds suddenly have a cardiac arrest on the same team. And I was like, yeah. hmm. That's another podcast, but yeah. but uh, I, <laughs> yeah. I'm a skeptical person, and I'm also very curious. But I'm my curiosity here was to just say, well, I don't know Ben that well, and he's not a subscriber to my Substack and reading the stuff that the same stuff I'm reading. So I could, I'd like to just hear your opinion. So I appreciate that. Yeah, um, for sure. And all right, switching gears here because I have a, this is one where I can't speak with any authority at all. But <laughs> I, you mentioned. Um, when we did the interview together, and you mentioned earlier in this interview that you met Alex through the world of online gaming. Mm-hmm. And so let me right up front say that I have never participated in this. So <laughs> my knowledge in it, it, and I say that not like I disdain it or yeah. there's anything wrong with it. It's not something, you know, I'm older than you. That could be part of it. I don't know if it's yeah. anything, but it's also, I don't think it's, it's in my particular life, it hasn't It hasn't intersected with me. And then therefore, it's not something I've said, you know what, let me actively seek out doing that. But when you guys were talking about it and how you you would part of the gaming was you and he having these conversations. um, I did a little looking up of stuff because all I've ever heard about gaming is that it's a male dominated world that's very sexist and racist. But Mm. I know better to believe than just what I've heard. And when I did a little research, I quickly learned that at up to his, at least 50% of the gamers are women, which I did not expect to hear that. So give us a, a glimpse into your experience as a gamer. And if someone like me was asking you, um, what, what do you, how do you react to the stereotyping of gamers in the ways that I just mentioned? So, yeah, the, uh, so gaming for me, it started at, at a young age. And I think the reason that like, maybe you haven't had much interaction with it is because it, it's, it's, uh, it's an age thing, at least nowadays, like obviously back in the day, you had the Atari and the N64 yeah. when those were coming out. But um, me being a, a millennial, it really started to uptick 
uh, at the cha- you know, at the turn of the of the century. Uh, oof, that makes me sound old. Um, <laughs> when you know the the newer consoles were coming out and stuff, and then they started having the ability to connect to the internet, and you could play with people all around the world. But for me, it was always just a a little side uh, hobby, a way to like you know um, relax and explore other worlds that people have built. Um, and and it that's always been. Uh, you know, something that, that has always intrigued me about gaming. And it was something me and my little brother did growing up that helped us. Uh, we were already very close as siblings anyway, but we then shared that common interest as well. Uh, and then as, as we got older um, and the consoles became more and more uh, advanced and the internet, internet became uh, better and better. Now you were able to, you know, connect on games to people um, that you may not live close to anymore. So like for me right now, all my best friends back home, how I keep in contact with them is we hop on, whatever game we're playing and I get to have conversation with them and keep up with them while we're, you know, doing something that we all enjoy. Um, so it's, it's, that's, that's how I look at it now. It's just a way to keep up with my buddies back home. Uh, as far as, you know, to your point, when you talk about, um, a male dominated, uh, field or, or area, uh, in the early days, it was for sure, because that's how it was marketed, right? It was marketed as this is something for boys to play. This is a boys thing. Now, um it's it's turned and yeah at least like you said 50 percent of of gamers now are female and it's it's awesome and they they're they have been fighting for a long time to get more you know representation in games and more of a voice in the gaming world uh which is cool to see the fresh ideas that uh the female perspective brings to to games and some of the some of the best games that i've played i've actually had like female lead developers on it and it's been really awesome to see um what they what they put forth. Um, but in, to the, to the point of the racism, uh, in gaming, there are a lot of games. The the biggest culprit of that, I would say is probably call of duty, call of duty lobbies, uh, online lobbies have always had that type of person in it. Um, but as far as it being like very, um, what's the word I'm looking for apparent or, you know, prevalent, prevalent that's the p word i was looking for uh prevalent and it, it's it's really just it's not as prevalent it's it's a small percentage of the actual people that partake in online gaming but with anything the small percentage has a loud voice which is mm. why it always gets pushed out into the media that you know gamers are these bigoted racists um all the time but it's it's really just the people that uh they I feel like a lot of them just do it for the shock value and the, and the, the haha funny, like I'm being edgy type thing. Um, watch me, you know, listen to me say all this and they, they enjoy getting the reactions of people that are like, Whoa, what meant? You can't say that man, like all that stuff. And then it just eggs them on to keep going. So that's, okay. I so- think where that resides for the most part um, is people just trying to, trying to troll and get that shock value out of people and the reactions. Cause they feed off of that. Yeah, you said the word. I was going to say it sounds like classic trolling. It where is. I remember from the, my earliest, you know, entry into the internet, you you learn the do not feed the trolls because mm-hmm. that's exactly what they're looking for. And there's no way of quantifying, of course, how many people in the U.S., for example, are racist. Like that's not an impossible right um, number you can come up with. But based on your answer, at least, it sounds like the the proportions could be at in gaming the same it would be in the insurance business like there's going to be a certain amount of people in that who are racist and i've been Mm -hmm. around long enough to know that i've met people who 
are, when I say racist, I mean are openly racist, not that right. they're assigning racism to their, their to microaggressions and so on. Right. But they're verbalized directly to me because I'm white. Other white people might feel comfortable saying something to me about you know. And so I would say, all right, I'm going to make a. At the very least, that comment was racist, and if I hear mm-hmm. more of them, that person is racist. But I appreciate that perspective because I don't know much about it. And, right. And, and speaking and, of that, let me ask one quick question here. Sure. Um, you, I'm fascinated by the first thing you said, where you said it's a way to catch up with other people. Because now this is a completely gaming ignorant question. So <laughs> when you're doing all these fancy things with these consoles and playing this game, you could be holding a separate conversation? You can. So a lot of them now you uh, they have a way to set up the the talk, the talking to people, um, the ch- the chat, the voice chat um, where you can set it up to where it's just where you, you only hear your friends. So you can have just your your own conversation with your buddies um, without hearing what the rest of the lobby saying or the rest of the lobby hearing you. Um, so there's games that have it that have that feature built into them like that. Um, and to go even further still, even if you don't utilize the, the, the voice chat feature of the game, there's uh, apps and programs um, like Discord um, where you can just set up a voice call in Discord, kind of like what we did when you were on our podcast. Um, mm-hmm. But you can set that up on the side and not even have to worry about using the game's built-in voice chat and just use that. And that that way, it's you don't even have to worry about random people coming in at all. It's just you and your your the select people that you've chosen to be in that call. It's almost like old school of you and five of your friends going down to a schoolyard to shoot some hoop, where mm-hmm. you're going to talk while you're playing the e- game. Exactly. Okay, yeah. Got it. All right. I think I cut you off. You were going to reply to the racist comment. So do you have- um, yeah. No. So yeah. So um, to your point about quantifying it, um, I think there's some there's things in development now, or if not in development already out, where um, on games you can report people for being racist, uh, whether it's their online name comments they've made in the voice chat anything like that um and i think in those reports then you could start quantifying and putting numbers to like what percentage of the community of that game is being reported for um comments like that that they've made so there's at least in the gaming world there's there and i don't know how public it is or if you'd be able to like look up you know the report stuff for that but at least the companies that made the game like the game probably somewhere have those metrics interesting hidden way but yeah because um with i think it it really ramped up and here we go back to covid um (laughs) ramped up during the pandemic when everybody was at home um the gaming industry as a whole tried to make uh gaming more inclusive and uh, kind of like safer for people online so they could have somewhere to go to hang out and not Mm -hmm. worry about being harassed all the time for whatever reason um, okay. So there's been a big push to for equality and you know fairness and um, just general human decency. <laughs> <laughs> good luck, good yeah. luck, but, but like, uh, but good luck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so um, when you when you say that, or I read that 50 percent of the participants are female, but if the names can be anonymous, how do they even quantify that? So the names, uh, you. They're not really um, anonymous. You have an online like gamer name or a name that you've given yourself online and online, and that's tied to the game and also your IP address for your internet. So when you report somebody, you basically report that person and you know essentially that 
what where that person's internet is coming from so that they know who Got it. to like shut down basically if they need to. Okay. All right, so I'm going <laughs> to I'm going to segue out of gaming here. But <laughs> now you mentioned but here's the segue. You mentioned Call of Duty. Am I correct that that's a military based? It is. It's it's one of the longest standing like military gaming franchises. Okay, so segue here. You're in the military. Now, yes. If I'm, you, if you told me that you're in the Air Force, but prior to that, you were in the Marines. Do I have that correct? That is correct. Okay, so you're a serious military guy. So yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put to the test the conversation about people with different opinions. Mm-hmm. I come out, as you probably remember from our conversation, my background is in what used to be called um, left perspectives or before mm-hmm. woke and one a big issue a huge issue in in the work that I've done like writing or public speaking and something that still resonates with me is the concept of anti-war and the mm-hmm. and the and the um, the incredible amount of money that's spent on the military budget particularly in the US so right when, when as someone who has committed to the military, but also committed to like listening to other opinions. Let's say if, if you encountered my stuff a few years ago, pre-COVID, and you read something I wrote that criticized the military budget or the the endless wars or the fact that like there's like 900 U.S. military bases in like 85 countries spread out across the globe. Mm-hmm. How does it sound to you when you hear someone? who hasn't been in the military, but has the statistics and so on. Is this something where you say, oh, that you and the guys in, in, in your, whether it was the Marines or the Air Force, are aware of and actually talk about yourselves? Or is it something that sounds like criticism? Or w- what's the general feel when you hear a well-presented um, anti-war argument? Yeah, so it's uh, it's all over the place. Um even though I've been in, I'm in the military and have been in for a while now, I have always said the belief and it didn't change when I joined the fact that the United States does not need to be the world's police force. Okay. We need to focus, you know, on ourselves and home defense, you know, uh, homeland defense and, you know, supporting our allies when our allies need it, but we don't need to act as like the police force for democracy around the world. Um, as far as the budget is concerned, we do we we do we spend an astronomical amount of money on our defense budget. Um, a lot of that is tied into uh, the military-industrial complex, and those guys love their money. Um, so whatever they can do to get more money from the government and to present it in such a way that the government goes, "Yep, that seems like a good idea. We'll give you whatever you want." That's where a lot of that defense, at least in my mind, that defense spending comes from. Um, part of it also um, is the fact that we spend a lot of money trying to stay ahead of our near peers and near adversaries. And I can't, I can't get you know too much into that. I know a few things here and there, but I'm not going to yeah. run the risk of saying things I shouldn't. Um, but yeah, we, we spend a lot of money in order to sh- try and stay ahead of, of um, what, what we perceive as our next adversaries in our next fight. Um, so yeah, there's valid criticisms on both sides, but um, what I've come to discover is that um, it, it's a very polarizing topic. You're either super for it or you're super not for it. Yeah. There's not very many people that are in my boat where you, you're kind of you kind of right the middle and you can see both sides. Um, <clears throat> so there has to be a little bit of leeway uh, in there and going. Yes, we spend a lot. Could we could we spend less? Sure. Um, but at the same time, we spend as much as we spend in order to keep the homeland safe, basically. 
Yeah, I, I, it's. Let me first say I've worked in gyms a lot of my life, and mm-hmm. therefore it's not unusual for me to have um, coworkers when I was training. I mean, like personal trainers right. who are veterans. They come out and and they get jobs in gyms, and and so I've had a lot of face to face conversations, and I must say, uh, it sounds a lot like what you say, where. I've in the beginning I was surprised. I'm no longer surprised to find out that a group of um, I, I don't know what the if I say soldiers that's what it, I, I'm, I'm not yeah. trying to de- no you know, that's determine. fine. It's, so a, it's a good blanket term. Yeah. So if a group it's it, it used to fascinate me. Now I just accept it as a reality that there could be a group of modern day soldiers sitting around talking about um, the military budget or mm-hmm. how many bases because with the U.S. military budget I I don't have the number in front of me right now but in the general range, the U.S. spends more than it's than their number one. Of course, they spend more than like number two to nine combined, or something. Yeah, we spend hundreds of trillions of dollars a year yeah. on the defense budget, which is exponentially more than, like you said, two through nine in the rest of the world, like yeah. combined. And, and it's it's more than most countries' GDP. Yeah, so it's difficult to to, to justify. But when you, what I've always pointed out to people is right after World War II the Department of War became the Defense Department. So once you mm-hmm. call it defense, it's easier to justify. Yeah. but yeah, uh, It's a little bit more palatable to the to the general public when you're to the Department of Defense rather than the Department of War. Yeah, it's, it's, almost, it's almost hard for me to imagine that there once was a Department of War. It just mm-hmm. seems like such a bad public relations move. But they caught <laughs> yeah. on after World War II, and, and that's what it comes down to. You call something a, a, a you know, national security issue or defense, it triggers a certain response in citizens like, oh, I'll take care of that. And, yeah. and so I, I'm always fascinated to ask people who are on the inside, not meaning like someone that works for the Pentagon, meaning someone that might be out there literally on the front lines. And I, I can think of one guy recently that I used to work with and I ran into him. Like I know he was out there in Iraq and Afghanistan and his stories to me were mind blowing, but his awareness of the nuances of the budget and, and, mm-hmm. and so w- was just, it was such an excellent conversation. And, and, um, and I, I, it provides some sense of solace that it's very easy for people to fall, like you said, extremely on one or the other, that mm-hmm. everyone who signs up is either A, a war hero. The moment you sign the paper, you're a war hero. But on the other half say everyone who signs up is a war criminal. And so, mm-hmm. and obviously the world doesn't work like that. And so I, again, I appreciate being able to have a conversation with someone who I'm going to assume for the most part, we, we're not aligned on this issue. Yeah, probably not. Um, which is totally fine. And yeah. I enjoy the fact that we can talk as people who have opposite opinions and viewpoints on this, but we get to see what each other has to say and we go, all right, cool. I can see where you're coming from on there. And there may be concessions or compromises made in there, but at the end of the day, we're still having a good conversation and we'll have more after this. Yeah. And and also just to, to, to add, it doesn't change my opinion of you. No, not at all. And, not and, at all. And that's something that takes a lot of practice to do. Mm-hmm. And when when you come, like, if you're in the military, there's a lot of conditioning in the military. But ironically, when you become a an activist of any stripe, there's a lot of conditioning there too. Mm-hmm. Where so after a while, you 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 have the danger of seeing the world in black and white terms. And so yeah. I was excited to have this conversation with you. And no offense to Alex, but he couldn't make it. It enabled <laughs> us to have a more nuanced one on one because right. it's like, all right, we want to disagree. 
disagree on vaccines or disagree on certain aspects of the military budget. But dude, I, I'm happy to be back on your show and I'm, I'm having a great time talking to you. And I'm like, yeah, this is how it should be. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. It's uh, it was very hard. Um, especially when I first joined to not immediately just like shut people down when they criticize the military and stuff, because at the beginning you're, you're very gung ho, you're super about it. And you're like, no, you don't get to criticize the military. We keep you safe basically. And then as you, you know, spend more time in and get older, you kind of get to see the nuances of what's going on. You're like, okay. I mean, yes, to a degree, still the same thing, but also I see where you're coming from. I understand that. Yes, we spend a lot of money and on, the outside looking in you're like why do we spend so much and trying to tell people like okay this is kind of like from my very limited viewpoint um from what i've done like this is why we spend as much money as we do okay all right um, i appreciate the the civil conversation <laughs> yeah. and i think we're moving up moving relatively near wrapping up here i know we're on a time limit so what i want to do as we wrap up is for you to come back to our original topic of you being a podcaster mm-hmm. and being having a show with Alex that has evolved. So as we're more far more than halfway through this year, what do you see yourself doing? Do you, you want to keep what in the world going? Do you are you happy with the guest uh, approach that you have? Do you, Alex, and a guest? Um, for folks who don't know, you guys do a live stream on Sunday evenings, and then it's available on a variety of platforms. What's next for what in the world and, and what excites you when you think about what else you could do with this? Um, so as far as what's next, I think we're just going to keep doing what we're doing with the guests and talking to interesting people. We've had a couple of guests on um, that have given us a, a, the kind of cool idea of maybe not doing like um, – uh, a live show, but like Alex and I taking our podcast on the road, um, essentially, um, cause we had, we talked to a guest who, who did some looking into the JFK assassination. It was a big conspiracy, uh, yeah. there. If you missed that episode, it's, it's up. Definitely go check it out. It was a good one. Um, but doing something like where we would go, to, you know, go to Dallas and talk to people in Dallas about the JFK assassination and kind of put together a show and then upload that on YouTube later. And then the other platforms of kind of like, this is, you know, what in the world podcast out in the world, um, following up on some stuff. So that's, that is exciting. And if we can get that to happen where we, you know, go on these excursions and do, you know, quasi investigative journalism, yeah. um, it would be super fun. Um, I love that so idea. That'd be, that'd be, that'd be something, that's something I'm looking forward to. If we can get it to work, it'd be, it'd be super cool. Um, to coming be able up to on 60 that. years on the JFK, exactly yeah. 60 years. So it's like yep. perfect timing. It's going to be everybody talking about that. Yeah. So it'd be, it'd be something really cool if we could, if we could get that to work every now and then to kind of like go out and maybe see people we've talked to before in the flesh and like set up kind of like a, a recording and do a, do, do, do something like that would be, um, very cool. Um, but yeah, I don't think what in the world podcast is going to go anywhere anytime soon. We're going to keep plugging away, um, and getting, you know, keep trying to build the fan base and keep doing what we're doing and just talking to more and more interesting people. Um, you, you guys, uh, out there can take this with a grain of salt. Um, I don't know where everywhere where everybody stands with this, but uh, Alex and I are both uh, very uh, keyed in on people that have uh, psychic medium abilities, and we've both been told by the one that we have both seen um, that our podcast will go where we want it to go as long as we keep plugging away at it. We'll get we'll get there um, to that to that you know kind of bigger podcast sphere. So right. we're very excited, uh, and we're definitely going to keep plugging away until we kind of something clicks and we 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 break through that that doorway of of getting out there to more people that's exciting and and i i appreciate that perspective where where 
you know, it's again, someone might hear if, if only if someone tuned in and only heard the part where Ben Fay is a gamer who's in the military, they would (laughs) not think that you're open to psychic abilities. Right. Right. But there you are. It's nuanced. Nobody is that simple to figure out. We're all onions. We all have many, (laughs) many layers that have to get peeled back. Excellent. I, my my closest friend, uh, she's a, a writer and a musician. I've had her on the show many times, Allison Gray. You should have her on. The sh- she's Her new album is going to be out relatively soon. You should have her on because she's interesting on a m- multi-levels, but she could talk more authoritatively on issues uh-huh. of, of like psychic powers and spirituality. And uh, I, I'm fascinated by all those topics. We and- love having people on the show that are in that. We love it. Okay. So I, I'm I'll, off the air, I'll put you in touch, but um, I, I, I love, I just like your excitement for your project. And what I would hope is that people listening, it's not so much about whether you agreed with me or Ben, it's, it's like, we feel excited about, um, sharing ideas and sharing conversations and mm-hmm. learning. So we chose to create a media platform, each of us in a different way to reach more people, learn more and evolve and grow in the process. And, and to me, that's more important than whether or not one issue is a sticking point between two. Yeah. People. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fun to talk to people. Alex and I love talking. We love, we love the journey that we're on uh, with our podcast and meeting super dope people like you making and being able to come on your show and see how you do things. Uh, it's cool to see all those different perspectives. And I hope that we'll be able to take things away from each other's like shows and how we do things and, 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 and use them. I couldn't agree more, Ben. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you for having me on your show. Again, the, the link is in the show notes and please check the show notes because there is a link in there to your, to Ben and Alex's link tree, which will give you all the links you'll need to listen to their work, to watch their work, to subscribe, to donate, to share, all that stuff. Everything is in the show notes so you can get up to speed with what in the world and go from there. So thank you so much for your time and for this uh, this exchange of, of interviews. Yeah, for sure. I appreciate it a bunch, Mickey. Thank you for uh, for having me on. I, I, I love talking to you again, man. And then uh, for y'all out there, um, Mickey's stuff is is definitely in our show notes on that one. If you didn't, if you missed the episode where we have Mickey on, I go back and watch it or listen to it on whatever those uh, platforms are that you listen on because we had a great conversation with Mickey on on ours too. It was awesome. I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here. I trust you're enjoying this episode, but I wanted to take a quick break to request that you seriously consider becoming a paid subscriber to Post Woke, because Post Woke is more than this podcast, which is a weekly podcast with crucial, important conversations with crucial and important guests. Post Woke is also a Substack on which I post on a daily basis. I'm talking about written posts. And I, first and foremost, I am a writer. I have 12 books out and I have been writing for many decades. And so you're getting quality content at least once a day, all for $5 a month. And no matter what you decide, you can become a free subscriber if you choose. I ask you to please share the link and spread the word. And while you're at it, 
check the show notes for information on how to order the post-woke t-shirt. It is a completely cool kick-ass shirt and you could show the world what your favorite podcast and Substack is. So I thank you in advance for your support. Again, I urge you to spread the word and let's get back to the show. In 2016, 9% of social media users reported feeling, quote, worn out, close quote, by the onslaught of political posts they saw just from people that they know. Today, that number of worn out people is approaching 50%, and some 68% of people report that political debate with people they know on any platform or even in person was, quote, frustrating and stressful, close quote. So what's the secret for dealing with this ugly trend? The real secret, of course, is that you don't need secrets to be a healthy communicator. You just need fundamental attributes like respect. I mean, this is the foundation. Resist the urge to devolve into sarcasm or snark. Squash your ego's desire to be right. Don't turn a discussion into a competitive event. And if you feel anger, explain it instead of expressing it. Now, of course, respect is a two-way street. If your efforts to maintain a civil dialogue are met with derision, you can always step away from the situation without retaliating. Self-respect is a form of respect. The second attribute is humility. Contrary to seductive slogans and pithy memes, you will inevitably be wrong at times. We all are. There is far too much misinformation out there for any of us to fully evade the trap of confirmation bias. So start from a place that allows for the possibility that your quote-unquote opponent just may have a point. It can feel uncomfortable to challenge your own conclusions, but that's how you learn, grow, and evolve. Keep your mind open, expand your horizons to include a broader range of evidence, and regularly ask yourself this basic question, what if I'm wrong? Third attribute, skepticism. Fake news exists, and it's becoming more prevalent all across the ideological spectrum. All sides in any debate are being manipulated by algorithms. Your well-crafted messages are willfully, willfully distorted in the name of further stoking the flames. This can be a source of unity because everyone is being victimized. So work together with others to clarify stances and to verify sources. Recognize that both of you have undoubtedly had your opinion-forming process compromised by your news feeds. Step away from your devices and shift the dynamics of the conversation. You don't need to be participants in an ugly flame war. Instead, engage as two humans hashing out a disagreement. Rather than aiming for conquest, set your goal to be conflict resolution and reconciliation. Keep in mind that you can get along with and love someone with whom you disagree. There will be times when nothing you do will persuade another person to hear you. There will also be instances when the logical choice is to walk away from the discussion before it turns ugly. But no matter how such interactions play out, you can always attach more importance to real-life action than online rhetoric. If you wish to make a difference in your community, there are far more powerful steps you can take than getting enmeshed in a political debate with a stranger or a loved one. 
Consider challenging that time and energy into positive efforts to help those, human and non-human, most vulnerable during this time of turmoil. You don't need to know how someone votes or worships or lives in order to help them in a time of need. As the Stoics said, don't explain your philosophy, embody it. But also, keep your guard up.